Hey everyone, I have a question for you. Do you know anyone that's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk, sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed, which is insane, or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party and then had Andre Bocelli serenade them while they ate their pasta? You're about to meet him in real life. He's actually the real life Wizard of Oz or so. Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine says, this is Joe Soto. We'll be right back with the show. This is the Not Your Average Joe Show, where each week we bring you sales, marketing, and mindset strategies you need to get to your next level. And now here's your host, international business mentor, Joe Soto. We've got Steve Sims in the house. Steve, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, well, listen, the real life Wizard of Oz, I couldn't pass it up. Real quick, people don't know who you are, possibly. If they don't, they're about to know who you are. And I'm going to guess everyone who watches, everyone who listens to this will buy your book. And the reason is um, because of what you stand for, man. And I'm so pumped. So real quick... Um, that, you know, I kind of gave you Steve's short bio as we came on to the show here. He is the author of the book, Blue Fishing. Uh, also, it's the name of his agency, it's your company. And really the name of the concept that you kind of invented. I love that you invented this, this idea around blue fishing. I remember seeing this book, actually, this true story. I'm going to go back uh, many months in, in a uh, before pandemic in the, uh, in the bookstore, actually. And I saw it and I didn't do much with it. I didn't think think much of it. I just kind of put it back down. I hadn't heard of you. I fast forward then. I see you on Ken Wall's show. We'll give a shout out to Ken. Um, Ken and I both uh, co-authored a chapter in Jeffrey Gittimer's new book that's coming out called Go Live. I love Ken. He had you on his show. And he, um, and that was it, man. I'm like, I got to get that book. So I ordered, this is just how it happened. So I ordered the book, Steve. And my family is leaving that week for the Outer Banks. And my wife said, whatever you do, don't bring a bunch of books with you. Normally, I bring a bunch of books on vacation. And she's like, this is family vacation. I said, can I bring one book? <clears throat> I bring one book. No kidding, okay? It's your book. And I read it cover to cover. And I, I didn't just, I said this to one of my posts. I said, I didn't just read it, actually. I studied it. I underlined it. Um, I extracted a whole bunch of questions out of it, a bunch of quotes out of it, a bunch of action items out of it. So we're so excited to have you here. And that's enough of me talking. I'm going to start turning it all over to you now. Um, can you give a little bit of backstory um, on you see, your background? Is I can't talk to it. So can you can you share your background because it's it's uh, it's not you didn't make your your, your way to business success and, and entrepreneurial success. You know, wasn't through traditional means. So share a little bit of your story. Um, was it not? Um, I, funny enough, I've noticed many, many, many successful people. Like, have you ever worked? Have you ever seen where Elon Musk used to live? Have you ever seen where Bill Gates used to live? You know, so I it's think my story. Yeah, yeah. So I think, funny enough, my my growth was as conventional and as traditional as any entrepreneur's is. I was. Uh, I came from a bricklaying family. I was raised in East London. We didn't have any money, but we had morals, we had values, we had our word. Um, 
And the bottom line of it is I realized as a, as a young lad that I didn't fit in. And the funny thing about entrepreneurs is we notice that more quickly than anything. We're aggravated. And I just wanted to find out if there was another world out there. Now, this was a life pre-Instagram, you know, pre-social network to tell me how inadequate my life was. But I just thought to myself, is there another world out there? Um, and that was it. The nearest I got to seeing any kind of cities and, and worlds, and I remember this, was the James Bond movies. You know, James Bond was the first thing that ever introduced me to there was somewhere outside of our uh, sunny British Isles because um, we never went on holiday as a family. We didn't have the money. So I just tried to find it. And I realized very early on, and now it's become a, a cliche, you are the five people you hang around with. Well, I used to look at it, I am the room that I'm in. So if I'm in a room full of broke-ass bikers, which <laughs> was what I was, then guess what I am? But if You're I'm in. Yeah, if I'm in a room full of entrepreneurs, if I'm in a room full of kick-ass go-getters, disruptors, making things happen, impactors, then it will dribble down onto me. And so I went out to try and create a way of getting people to talk to me. Without realizing that, I, I created one of the world's largest experiential concierge firms um, that literally became a Make-A-Wish Foundation for the rich and famous and the richer and unknown. Um, and then three years ago, I got asked, would I do a book? And originally, I was asked to do the book and name names. Now, the bottom mm. line of it is, I said, if I started naming names, I'm dead before cocktail hour. So I can't do that. So I declined the book deal. They then heard me give a speech at an entrepreneur's event. Uh, it was Joe Polish's Genius Network. Yeah. And they came back and they said, hang on a minute. We didn't know much about your backstory. How about if we can tell the story and give the tips of how a bricklayer from London is suddenly working with Sir Elton John and the Pope? Can you do that? And I was like, yeah. And I really didn't think it would take off. I thought a lot of people would read the book and go, there's no way in the world you get that by writing a handwritten note or by, you know, doing this. Or yeah. I just thought no one would pay attention to it. And so we didn't even have a website. We released a book with no website. Um, wow. and you mean you, your, your company didn't have one and you didn't have one? Well, I, the, the company still did, but the concierge firm, and this is where it comes down to a tip and a trick for referrals, none of my websites ever had phone numbers or way of contacting us, okay? Yeah. Because I was always contacted through someone else being a client. Yeah, because there's nothing better than someone else saying how brilliant you are. You know, Absolutely. all your branding, you don't need any of it. So when the book came out, we had no book website. I had no personal brand website. I had no coaching platform. I had no Facebook page. I had nothing. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to do something, and it makes me no money, uh, so it's not a, not a pitch. Um, on the website of stevedsims.com, You'll see a on the front page. You'll see a video. Now, when I was asked um, to do, yeah, if you scroll, you'll there you go. There's a little video. That video will make you laugh. Have you ever seen it, Joe? Yes. Right. Yes. So I, I'll give you the story behind this. Simon and Schuster, oh, who did the book, actually said to me, "You've got to do a launch," and they sent me two and a half thousand dollars. <laughs> now. I got paid very well to do the book. 
So I'm yeah. wondering, what the freaking hell is this chump change for? Yeah. And they said to me, we need you to hire a table at the local Barnes & Noble in Los Angeles, <laughs> buy some champagne, and be there on a Saturday afternoon and sign the book. <laughs> and I've looked in the mirror enough to know that no one's going to be walking their kids on a Saturday afternoon and go, oh, let's go and talk to that man over there. You know, <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to happen. So instead, and I never told him at the time, but I, I went to my local whiskey bar, which was called Everly on Sunset Boulevard. And I said, look, I've got this check. And I had the check in my hand. I said, I'm going to sign it over to you. When it runs out, put the lights on and kick us out. And they had a back room. So they went, yeah, all right, and Steve. You know, we're so I invited a bunch of my friends. We had, uh, you know, Jim Quick, Lewis Howes, uh, Greg Reed, Cole Hatter, Sonia. You had a whole bunch of you know, really cool people because, you know, if you hang around with cool people, then you get cool people So I had a really good solid bunch. We turned up. Now, for it to be a launch party, I had to have books there. So we literally stuck a pile of books on the end of the bar, and that was it. There was no promotion. There was no Facebook in it. Now, Sonia Hatter, who is attractively evil, she turned up with Cole, her husband, and they run Thrive, the big Vegas event. Right. I know. I know, Cole. All right. So they turned up with this little video, and Sonia lied to me. She said, do you mind if we get some B-roll for one of Cole's videos, you know, using this as the backdrop? And I went, Brilliant. yeah, knock yourself out. So she lied to me. And after the event, she actually sent me the video of the book launch. Now, here's the funny thing for anyone who watches it. So because cool. nobody knew it was a book launch video, they start off at the beginning very sober, going, oh, it's a pleasure to be here with Steve and this and that. And they're all very polite. And then basically, as it goes on through the night, they are completely shit-faced, and they are being abusive, and they are swearing. So it's the worst book launch video ever. But when Simon Schuster said to me, you've got to do a video – she had already sent me this video, and I was like, well, this is as good as it gets. I'm putting that – so I put that video up on the website of us just getting drunk through the night. No, you're linking you're linking a party to and fun to your book, man. It's, a, it's an amazing anchor. I love it. I love it. And you had big names in there. I remember seeing Greg, Greg Reed in that video and um, some other people that gave you the testimonials and talked about it. Yeah, um, it was, uh, was kind of cool. We had, uh, we had you know, some – do you know the funny thing is that there Everybody's was some- holding up the book. It's way better than than being stuck at a table at a Barnes and Noble, which oh, is anybody going into Barnes and Noble anymore? Yeah, it was, exactly. Can you imagine? And I've actually been down, and there's a place called the Grove in LA. I've been there and I've seen these people sat on the chair as people walk through the door and kind of like look at them. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not gonna be that person because no one's gonna walk anywhere near me. Right, right. They're, they're, they uh, they don't know. They don't know you hold the you hold the uh, the key to their future success possibly. Yeah, um, let's talk. You hit on something earlier that I want to touch on. So a lot of my audience, Steve, is uh, digital marketing consultants and agency owners. Um, you know, I've had an agency for for over ten years, and um, you know, a lot of my education is helping these startups, these young startups, kind of develop and grow their agency to seven figures or beyond, and. Um, I one of the one of the reasons why I was so attracted to the concepts in your book is is the simplicity of some of them, 
Um, some of the outrageous stories, which keeps you reading throughout the book. For those of you who are wondering what I'm going to get out of the book, you're going to get a good laugh and you're going to get hit right between the eyes with some, uh, you know, some real examples and concepts that you need to be putting into practice in your business. But one of them is um, that I try to, to help you with is how to get clients. You're like the master at getting the highest net worth clients you possibly could get. I know that you've got programs around that as well. You get a membership program that kind of helps people with this too. But let's give some people some insight into just some of your simple philosophies. We don't have to go too down, you know, down, down the road on this, but on how you get clients. I mean, you've gotten some of the biggest clients. For those people who don't understand what a what his concierge business is is all about, um, he makes dreams come true, guys. I mean, that is essentially what you do for people that are the high net worth clients that maybe they don't know how to, you know, get, you know, on stage at a ZZ Top concert or something, right? So um, how do you find them? Like, I know it, the easiest way to get clients is once you've got some good clients, and you're producing results, but there's some simple things like you, you touched on earlier, you said handwritten letters. Do you still send handwritten letters out? Oh, hell yeah, all the time. So for anyone out there that's sitting on the fence and asking themselves or scratching their ass going, why should I listen to this guy? I've worked with everyone from Elon Musk to the Pope, Sir Elton John, Andrea Bocelli, to people that own little things like countries. So <laughs> I, I identified very early on because I spent most of my life, uh, like most of us did when we were young, with no money, you know? And I thought to myself, how the bloody hell does um, – these people, how do they have money and I don't? And it, when you're asking yourself that question, why ask another poor person? So <laughs> I remember sitting in the pub with my mates that never had any money. Why would I ask them for business advice? So I went out to ask people that were uh, good in what they did. And here's the key. I, they, they say about you've got to get your foot in the door, okay? Well, with social nowadays, you can get your foot into anywhere. You know, you can you can find an angle. What you've got to do now is to become so irresistible that they don't want you to leave. That's the new key. That's the 2020 goal that you've got to do. And the way you do it is to uh, turn up with value, turn up with a benefit to them straight away. So what I first focused on, and we can play this game. Actually, do you want, do you want to play a game on this, Joe? Yeah, let's do it. All right, are you married? Yes. All right, okay. So how long have you been Happily. married? I'm sorry? How long have you been married? Uh, like 16 years. All right, good. All right, so here's I'm going to play the game with you, and then you can play this little segment back to your wife, and she will ball you out for it, okay? Because okay. you're going to get it wrong. All okay. right, I'm just going to warn you in advance. <laughs> so here's the thing. You know who I am. You know what I get up to, so I've already got credibility with you. So this weekend, I turn around and I live near you. And um, you know, I turn around and I say, Joe, I'm having a house party Saturday night. I'd love you to come along. Okay. Okay. What's the first question you ask me? Um, can I bring my wife or do I, do, do I bring my wife? Okay. Yes, you can bring your wife. What's the second question you ask me? Um, who's going to be there? All right. What's the third question you asked me? Uh, what are we going to do? Okay. Three questions. Okay. Now, if I asked your wife, hey, I'm having a house party on Saturday, what would be the first question she would ask me? Are there going to be women there? 
<laughs> right. Here's the thing. Maybe who's going to be there? Okay. No. Okay. Help me out. You ask her that question. You see, here's the funny thing. Every single one of your questions uh, validated. What, Heidi says, what's the attire? What are we wearing? No, Heidi, I, 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 you wouldn't. I don't believe you would ask that. So, and I'll, I'll reveal, and then you'll go, ah, you just asked me three questions that selfishly helped you make a decision as to whether or not you wanted to waste your time coming to my party on Saturday. Right? <laughs> you right. know the kind of people that I know. Hell, right. if it was just me with a bottle of whiskey, it would still be worth it. But you needed right. validation. So all of your three questions was selfish for you to make the decision, correct? Correct. If you asked your wife, or when you're off this, ask your wife, say, hey, there's this guy, Steve Sims. Pretend you know him. Pretend you like him. He's invited you to a, a party on Saturday night, a house party. What would be the first question you would ask him? And do you know what she would ask? What would she ask? She would ask, what can I bring? Ah. Uh, All right. Okay. She wants to bring something that helps me. Women always get it right, okay? But the guys always run through a bunch of selfish questions <laughs> that help them, and the women always turn around and say, can I bring something? Can I bring a salad? Can I bring some food? Can I bring something? Well, that's the same thing with relationships. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. If you turn up to a relationship, and this is why people do so badly when they reach out to people to do collaborations or to sell their products, they reach out and they go, hey, Joe, how are you? How can I help you, Joe? You know, hey, Joe, um, how can I get into your network? How can I market my product through your – those are all selfish that benefit them. That's right. But how about if I was to phone up Joe and say, hey, Joe, I heard about this book that you're doing. I've got an idea how I can promote it to my market. Oh, by the way, can I also ask that we could do something? I've shown up with value first. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? That's how I learned very early on. In order for me to keep you in the conversation, it's got to be worth it for you. And then it's got to be so worth it that you invite me into your inner circle, your network. And once I'm in, trust me, I'm like COVID. I ain't going anywhere for a while. So <laughs> that's what you've got to do with any relationship. You've got to be able to turn up with value. I had, um, I've had many, many conversations, and I'll give you one of the stories. I had a client of mine that wanted to have a dining experience in Florence. So um, this was I was on, I was in Rome at the time. This was on a Sunday, and he wanted to have the experience on a Wednesday night. Now I've worked with him for so many years. He didn't ask many questions. He just said, "Make it happen. Impress me." So what I did was I took over the Academia de Galleria Museum. I set up a table of six at the most iconic statue in the world, David, and I arranged wow. a pasta meal. And he owned the entire um, museum himself at the feet of David. And halfway through his pasta, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade him. Now, the way that I got the museum was to re reach out to someone that knew the museum. And we'll come to that example in a second. Okay. But my first statement, before I asked them to close at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we're talking about one of the most famous museums in the world. David is more famous than the Statue of Liberty. We're asking the museum to shut to the public from 3 o'clock in the afternoon till 2 o'clock in the morning so I can have a dinner party for six people. Okay. 
The first question I asked them before I asked them what I wanted was I said to them, hey, I hear you're having a gala at the end of this year for some roof repairs. What's going on with the roof? And they started to tell me. And I said yeah. to them, what are you trying to do with the gala? Again, I hadn't asked them what I wanted. And they right. told me they're trying to raise money to get the roof repaired. And I said, wow, you know, I, a property like this, it cannot fall into disrepair. You know, it can't possibly no, close. No. How much are you trying to get? And they told me how much they were trying to get. And it was for roof tiles. So I said to them, okay, how would you feel if before you sent out one email or one flyer regarding this gala, a third of your budget was covered? Would that be of interest to you? And they were like, absolutely. So I had lent up all with this value. All they wanted to do now was to listen to me. Yeah. And that was the whole point. You've got to show up with value. You've got to ask any relationship, what can I bring to the party? I love that. What can we bring to the party? What can I bring? I, um, everybody who follows my programs and, and, and knows me knows this. You're, you're singing my, my song, man. I love uh, I love this, and I and I love that you you stayed in your book, and it's this isn't a book that was written, uh, you know, in the '80s. This is a book that came out and has been doing awesome every year that has come out. How how old is the book? Two years? That's the daft thing. It's uh, I don't even know how old it is. It's two and a half years. Two and a half years, yeah. And for the so, first couple of months, we sold four hundred copies, and my publishers what? weren't too happy. And then on the third month, sold eight thousand copies, and it's gone crazy ever since. Yeah, no this this uh, this book needs to be in the hand of of everyone that I have in my tribe and circle. That's for darn sure, because it they all deal with clients. Almost mm. everyone, you know, there's there's a mix that follow the show and that we promote to, but the people at the core of my audience are people that deal with clients and they're trying to figure out how to wow clients, how to stand out, differentiate themselves, how to get clients. You've got a lot of creative ways. You talk about that you got in front of, like you just gave as an example. Um, you say that failure is, is an education and not uh, in what not to do for every failure you are learning. Um, this is a big deal. I mean, you didn't just all of a sudden have all this success that like just fell out of a tree on you, right? You got to work for this. How did yeah. you get going? How did you get started in this type of business? With you know, when before there was like a flood of referrals, how did you get going? Let's, let's talk about the person who's maybe watching this, who's going, I'm really trying to get traction or maybe even lost clients, you know, due to this craziness of 2020. And now they're just trying to get a new fire lit under their ass so they can go and, you know, and blaze a new trail in 2021. So the first thing you've got to do is identify the room you're in. Okay. I am stunned. And I do this with a lot of my coaching clients. I am stunned how many people have a service, a product that they want to sell. And then they go into a room where people can't afford them. Okay. So the first thing you've got to do, first thing you got to do is identify the room that you're in, the room, the room that you're talking to, yeah, and then okay. identify, can they afford you? You see, this here's a funny thing. How many people have a product and then straight away, before they've launched a product, start working out a payment plan for people to be able to afford that product? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's a funny thing. People with no money focus on a payment plan. People with money focus on the solution that you're possibly going to be. Okay. Brilliant. So go for people that you don't have to discuss a payment plan with. Okay. And the good thing about rooms 
is these can be virtual. I have a, a Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage. Get into a room where people can- I'm in it. I'm in that, man. There you go. Get into a room where people converse, can help each other. But if you're in a room full of poor-ass people that can't afford shit, you're in the wrong room. So start trying to identify where you are. That's the first thing you can do. And then start focusing on you being the solution. You see, today, we don't sell. We don't sell anything anymore. We solve. So if you're a company and you need my, my, my product, I'm the solution to your problem. And here's the thing. If you've got a headache at 2 o'clock in the morning and you get up and you go to the, to the, to the bathroom to get a headache tablet, do you care about the packaging of the headache tablet? Right, no. No, you care that it solves your problem. I went out there and I focused quite simply on the fact that I don't have a car. I ride around on motorcycles. I've got piercings and tattoos. I'm not the kind of guy you want to bump into on a dark alley at 11 o'clock at night, unless you know me, you know? Right. But I I knew that I was dealing with, with this. So for me to try and brand this as a attractive, warm, fuzzy option to your holiday dreams was not going to work. So I didn't bother. I became the solution. I, instead of focusing on how wonderful I am, I started focusing on the pain and problems that you had. Now, I know you're thinking, well, what do rich people have pains and problems in? A lot. A lot. And a lot of the people that I were dealing with They wanted the next thrill. They wanted the next adrenaline rush. They wanted the next cocktail story. So I now became the solution that got them a piano lesson with Elton John or got them walking through the Vatican with the Pope or got them um, strolling around with Guns N' Roses. I became the solution they needed to continue their rush. I did that. And here's the funny thing. I never wanted to be a concierge. It wasn't something I wanted to do, but it was a Trojan horse that allowed me to hang around with some of the richest and most powerful people in the planet. And that's why I did it. Awesome. I I mean, I think the other reason why you did it is because you found true joy in helping these people. Um, I also found I enjoy, like all entrepreneurs, I enjoyed the challenge. Yeah, You know, someone's saying to me, hey, can you get me to play on stage with, uh, you know, that favorite rock star? You know, that became quite a challenge. I'm enjoying the challenge now, helping entrepreneurs do things differently. And you said earlier about I'm working the most primitive things like writing handwritten notes. I had a a lady that I worked with, true story, when I worked with the Vatican in, uh, in Italy, you know, as if the Vatican would be anywhere else. But when I was dealing with her, she had a bad phone. She had a really crappy phone that quite openly was a flip-top phone, okay, from like 19 whenever. She had this phone. I got back to the U.S. I found a few-year-old Apple iPhone that was unblocked, and I sent it to her. Now, an unblocked iPhone 3 was like, (laughs) I think it was like 80 bucks I paid for that bloody thing. Um, And I sent it to her for her to get her SIM card. She was over the moon. It literally like I'd just given her a, a hovercraft. It was so far technology for her, but it was a little bit. I could have gone all the way and bought a brand new one for $1,000. And trust me, the money that we were we were making from that, I could have easily spent it, but you don't want to you don't want to go too far. So it was this was just a little uh, gesture 
Hope this helps you. And I said to her, you can't Google anything on your phone, can you? And she was like, no, I can't do it. So I now gave her a platform to be able to do it. it was over the moment. And that was four years ago. And do you know, every now and then I still get a WhatsApp from her and I still get a little note from her because today, and I'm sorry to rant, no, today, stop focusing on the ROI and start focusing on the ROR, the return on relationships. That's where the wealth is. I love this. This is great. Everyone, I, I mean, people that are watching this in real time are taking notes. Uh, you have um, a couple concepts in the book. One is that there's a uh, a password for every door. Can you want to elaborate a little bit about what you mean by this? Yeah. I love the chapter on this and, and your examples <laughs> of how you, you, you use the password concept to create demand um, and so let's talk a little bit about what, what, how you turn that into uh, a business principle. Cause you say, you know, there's a password for every door. You just have to listen for it. What do you mean? Yeah. So there's, he, by the way, he's got a lot of concepts like this that are, that are, that are <laughs> unique and different in the book that stand out, but it helps anchor and, and helps you remember what he's doing and what he's talking about. All right. So go ahead. So you, you learn lessons from mistakes. So I am a, a I'm a serial mistake maker, and <laughs> even today, aren't we I, all? Well, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. If I don't screw up and fail in the next couple of weeks or in the next couple of days, I, I haven't tried hard enough. Right. Because you're never successful from success. You're successful from the mistakes you make that propel you into that success. So I noticed a few things in my world, and one of them was that. When you're asking someone something, you first of all got to ask yourself, do they have the ability to say yes? You know, like if you walk up to like the valet boy of the Met Gala and go, hey, can I get in? He may say yes, but he has no power. So I've always asked, I've always thought to myself, first of all, when you're asking someone for a yes, do they have the power to say yes? And then also, if you get a no, You've got to ask yourself, did you ask the wrong question or, again, the wrong person? And I realized very early on that you've really got to look at who you're actually interacting with as to whether or not they can ask, answer you. And the password philosophy, that came from when I was a doorman in Hong Kong. I used to throw these parties, and I didn't know how many people would turn up. So I didn't know how big a venue I needed. I didn't therefore know where the venue was going to be. So I always told people that we were very secretive. We right. weren't secretive. We just didn't know. Um, so, and I would say, I'll give you the location and the password a week before. Now, the location was because, as I said, if I sold 100 tickets, I'd get a venue for 120 people. If I sold 50 tickets, I'd get a venue for 60 people. But the password gave that allure of excitement, okay? Yeah. And we noticed something that was and very weird. Limited. Yeah, it did. We didn't know it was going to. You know, I'd right. love to tell you that we planned. We didn't know. But this is what happened. People would turn up at the party and quote the password, and we always made sure the passwords were stupid. We would say, okay, the password is you've got to name two of the Teletubbies. <laughs> or finish this sentence, one fish, two fish, red fish. Blue fish would be the answer. The toughest one we gave, 
bearing in mind this was in the late late nineties, no Google was on your phone. We <laughs> would say, you, yeah, we'd say, what is the lion's name out of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? Mm. Okay. And here's the funny thing: people would turn up and they would lean into the to the doorman, which would which would be me or my buddy, and they'd go, "Bluefish," and we'd say, "In you go, have a good night." And then you'd get people would turn up, and I remember this: we were in a we had a yacht in uh, Hong Kong, big lineup of people, cars turning up, dropping people off. This guy gets to the gangplank, and there's me and my fellow meathead there, and the guy says, "I'm here for the party," and I said, "What party?" Now, bear in mind, the boat is behind me going crazy, <laughs> music, everything. They can see the yacht, yeah. They can see the damn thing. They're only about 10 feet away from getting on it. And so I turned around to my, my mate and I went, this fella's looking for a party. Do you know about a party? And he's like, no, I don't think so, Steve. I think there may be one just down the road from here. As he's talking about – and we just start having a conversation to each other but blanking this guy, and he was like – I'm here for this party. Oh, I don't know. Uh, there's no party. I can't see a party. Colin, can you see? And we were just being aggravating. The funny thing was, everyone that came up to us, and even the people that couldn't get the lion's name, the lion's name, and it's for Aslan. Anyone that's having yeah. trouble, he was called Aslan. But people would come up to us and they'd go, I don't know. Is it? Is it? Is it lion? And we'd be like, <laughs> no, it's not lion. But the thing was, something happened. When someone had to turn up and give a silly name as a, as a password, they walked up the gangplank or they walked through the door smiling. And if you can get people smiling, walking into your community, then you've got a good thing going on. And we then realized, now, I was a doorman for many years, and believe it or not, the last thing I ever wanted to do was to start dancing with someone. I didn't want to be throwing fists because no matter how good you are, there's always a lucky punch that ruins your night, okay? <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. But I noticed if I controlled who walked through my front door, and this is a big one for your business, anyone's business, if you control who walks through your front door, you remove 99% of the problems on the inside. And that password, while it gave a sense of exclusivity, it gave some jovility and some fun. It meant the people that were walking in were humble enough to say a silly word. We never had a single problem inside any of our events because of it. Yeah, brilliant. And I, the, the, there's several applications of this. In, in a, if, you're, if you're a consultant, you're a digital agency owner, you work with clients, um, I, I, I tell people all the time, sometimes you make it too, you're, you're, first of all, the, being desperate to try to find clients is the first mistake um, because you tend to take anyone on, you know, you, yeah. you tend to think you should, you know, I, I always say everybody is not your client. So stop trying to market to everybody or making yourself available to everybody. And, you know, th this, this is even going a step further saying, you know, make it so it's exclusive to work with you, that it's, it's a privilege. It's a, um, it's a small amount of people who get a chance to work with you, not you'll take on anyone and you have room for everyone. It's, it's, you know, let's fit you in if we can in two months into our, into our client, you know, uh, portfolio. And you don't have to say it like that, but you have to create the business of that. So people want to get, I, this is how I know I'm on the right track with this is when a client says to me or a client prospect or someone reaches out to me and says, Joe, do you have any room for clients for the rest of 2020, uh, 2020? So they're already going. Do you have any room for me? Do you have any bandwidth to squeeze me in to help us? 
that is right where you want them. You're a privilege. Um, you're, you're a privilege. You're not, here's the, if you want a quote of the day, you're not an invoice. You're an asset. Yeah, if man, I love that. If it's the other way yeah. around, you're fucked. You're, you're not doing I the love that. Right. Yes. You're, there you're it goes, George. You can have that. No, Actually, man, I love that. You're not an invoice. I'm pretending I am. I'm going to be marketing it as my own now. You're <laughs> not an invoice. That isn't the first time you've said that. Is it the first time you've ever said that? Nah, but you can have it. You're an asset. No, I wouldn't have to. That's awesome. I love that. You're not an invoice. You're an asset. I always say um, you're, a, uh, you're not an expense. You're, you're a revenue generator. So treat it like that for when you're talking to your clients. And Heidi puts the quote right up there. You Just also say, don't, don't be easy to understand. Be impossible to misunderstand. And I love this, not underestimating the power of simplicity. Talk a little bit about that. And they can hear yeah. it in your stories too. People get people overcomplicate. There's something that happens with technology and with bank accounts. As soon as you start becoming successful and you start making money, you start ditching the simple things that actually worked and start relying on stuff that you can buy to outsource the problem. So people start looking at spending money on CRM programs and websites before they focus on the solution they provide and gaining clients. And if you don't have a client, you're out of business. It's as simple as that. So I wanted to focus on everything being simple and easy to understand. And as you already quoted, you can't – all right, let's understand something first of all. Anything you say is translated and understood by the recipient, okay? Any message you give has to be received and understood by the recipient. And depending on them – depends on how your message is received. If they're in a good mood, anything you say to these people are going to make them happy. If they're in a shitty mood and they've been screwed over, anything matter. you say they're going to find us in a bad mood. So the less you say and the way you translate it to make sure that it's impossible to misunderstand will increase your ability to be able to communicate with people. And that's the focus. In today's world of messaging and today's world of communication, confusion, distraction, distortion, disruption, fear. We're, we're in this moment of being uncomfortable. You've got to try and get as much clarity and transparency as possible. And that's where the ugly, impactful, simple shit works. Love it. There's two more things I want to talk about that come out of the book. One of my favorite parts of the book is you challenging the reader challenging us to do a self-audit. Talk a little bit about what do you mean by that? Um, I know you've got a couple of really cool YouTube videos around this as well, but let's talk about the self-audit. What do you mean? So what are you're, we auditing? Yeah, you're auditing your circle. I said to you earlier on, for anyone yeah. that wants to go back, I said that you, know, you are the room you're in. And you're auditing the room that you're in, or the rooms that yeah. you spend your time in. That's a really valuable yeah. one. Well, your room that you've built up has been friends from high school, people from work, your next door neighbors. Literally look at them and go, okay, are these people that challenge, uh, propel, and support me? Or are they crabs holding me down? Like when you're in the pub on a Friday night and you turn around to your buddy and you go, oh, I'm going to launch a, a, a rocket company. I'm going to challenge Elon Musk in, in um, civilian space travel. And your mate sits there, you know, spewing into his beer and goes, you could never do that, Steve. You're an idiot. You Is that the person you want on your camp? 
Is that the person that's there to push you, push you? Because you want people to go, okay, why do you think you've got the balls to be able to do it? Why do you think you've got something that someone else hasn't got? Why do people want? Now, those people that are asking you why, they're not negative people. They're helping you define and refine what you're about to do. Yeah, they're the challenges. They're the good people. The people that say, you can't do that, you don't want those. The people that sit there and go, yeah, Steve, you're wonderful. You go for it. They're the cheerleaders. They don't really add much to the game. They look pretty, but there's not much of a benefit. It's the challenges and the supporters that you really want to get in your group. You've got to look at everyone in your room, and the first thing you do You've got to look, is is that person adding any value to me? Now, I've got friends that are poor. They, they, they can't afford where I drink and where I eat. And whenever we get together, I'm the ones buying all the drinks. I'm the ones buying all the food because they bring different stuff to the party. They're very sure. real to me. They're very direct. They make me laugh. They make me smile. They're bringing things. So it hasn't always got to be money, but it's got to be some kind of mental and emotional trigger. And you've got to look, are those people that are giving you those triggers giving you negative triggers? How many of us yeah. in our circle have people that if it wasn't for the rest of the group getting together, we wouldn't want to go out drinking with them? You know, the annoying person in the party that just happens to think they're sexier or prettier or smarter, someone like that, you know? Would you want to go out with that person if the rest of the group wasn't there? With the rest of the group, you'll tolerate them because, eh, I went to school with them. Oh, I've known them for 20 years. All that kind of bullshit. But the bottom line of it is <laughs> get ferocious and clean up your circle. It'll give space for other dynamic people to be in it. And you say in your book, you said, you say, um, um, don't count the likes in your life. Don't worry about Facebook likes. Don't worry. Don't people are focusing on the wrong thing when they even, even even when it comes to social media. What should they focus on? Well, until I can actually phone you up my Facebook mortgage. doesn't pay the bills, you say. Yeah, until I can phone up my mortgage and tell them how many likes I've got and they let me off my mortgage payment, I couldn't give a shit. Um <laughs> likes and all of the ticks and the thumbs up, yeah, who gives a crap? It's the engagement. It's yeah. the it's the conversations. You see, social platforms are not social, okay? But used correctly, they can spurn a conversation. So when you have a remark and someone says something about it, get off social as soon as you can, DM them, and go, hey, I really like your opinion there. Should we jump on a call? See, um, Facebook actually makes it possible now for you to phone them directly through Facebook Messenger or even video chat with them. But try and get off social as fast as possible and get into a conversation. Why did you think? And even the person that hates you. You see, I've always said you've got to be so successful that you've got haters. <laughs> when someone goes onto your Facebook feeds or something like that and says, you don't know what you're talking about, why not contact them and go, hey, I saw that. Yeah. Was there something behind the reason you said that? It, would it be worth us jumping on the phone? In fact, in the next 60 seconds, I'm going to push call. I'm going to call you. If you want to answer the call, we can chat, and maybe I can help you, or we can redefine what's happening that's causing you to have that opinion. I have um, I max out 20 coaching clients, and I have, I think, 14 currently, and a third of those came from hateful messages on my postings. Oh, my God. Well, I literally contacted him, and I went, okay, 
something's happening Brilliant. to cause trigger for you to say that. Now, you're not going to win them all, but when someone responds to you, yeah. nine times out of ten, they want you to prove your position, your stance, or to prove them wrong. If they really didn't care about you, they wouldn't say anything. That's right, man. Brilliant. That's brilliant advice. And also a complete reframe for how you should treat your haters or people that maybe have less than positive things to say on your own social media. And you're oh, telling yeah. us that you've had, you've actually gotten coaching clients for this. This is, this is brilliant. Um, yeah. So what, what do you tell someone right now? Who's, who's watching this, who goes, well, you know, this is, this is easy for you to say, cause you've worked with all these celebrity clients and they're, they're just trying to get started. And and you're trying to help them get focused. What would you tell them? I'm a kid that left school at the age of 15 in East London onto a building site. So and if you yeah, if you're going to be naive enough to sit there and whine into your freaking white wine and go, oh my god, it's easy for him. Go fuck yourself. It wasn't. You know, <laughs> I made every mistake that you can only dream about mistake uh, making. I made more failures and screw-ups to get me to the position I am now. So a few things. One, this shit's hard. We're <laughs> yeah. in a credibility currency today, and that's going to take effort and work. And the sad thing is most of us today, we want to buy a pill or want to outsource it to Fiverr to build up our credibility with a ton of pretty memes uh, with a girl in a, in a swimsuit. That shit don't last. There's no substance to it. So focus on the client rather than focusing on you. And then every client you've got, this is what I do, and this is what I did. Every time you do any business with a client, and this, Joe, I'm telling you that if no one listens to any of this, this shit you need to listen to now. Yes. Any client you deal with, once they've paid, once the project's done, phone them up, don't email them, don't text them, don't video chat, phone them up, and go, hey, Joe, um, I wanted to ask you a question and then ask him this question. What did I do wrong during this project? And then shut up. Now, if I invited you to dinner last night, we're back on my dinner party again. <laughs> if I invited you to dinner last night and I said, hey, Joe, did you like the meal? What would you say? I loved it. Because naturally, we want to say something nice. Right. Naturally, we go, oh, even if we were puking up all night right. because we were allergic. Diarrhea. It was great. Yeah, yeah, you would. You would. Yeah, it made me a lot thinner because I lost my guts. Um, <laughs> you know, you would just be nice. But if I turn around and say, hey, Joe, thanks for coming over last night. Hey, what could I have done to have made that party better? Yeah. Now you start thinking in a more critical. It gets you thinking. Now your answer may still be. And you can't lose to that question, by the way. The, the answer would be, well, it was a bit chilly. Uh, I didn't like the mute. Now you're getting feedback to make yeah. you better. Yeah, you real can't valuable lose. feedback. That is very valuable from someone that paid you, okay? Yeah. Also, that person that paid you knows you care. So they're going to be a loyal client. But here's where it gets real sexy. They turn around and they go, Steve, you were attentive. You were on time, you were on budget, and you did what you said you were going to do. I've got no critique for you, Steve, because you were great. And that's when you turn around and you go, do you have 10 people in your Rolodex that should know that? Yeah. 
Awesome. And you start getting referrals. There's no better referral than someone that's actually spent money with you. I love that. And, you know, I, I teach I teach to ask those clients at the end of the projects or even the ones that tell you, no, this isn't going to work. Who else? Who else should you be talking to? Um, yeah. You just, you just gave a much, much more uh, specific framework for setting that up. Because if you're going to ask somebody to do that, get the feedback up front first. And if it's all positive, you also have a testimonial. There's a testimonial if they say, hey, it was all fantastic. But the referral is going to be monetarily valuable to you if you say, who in your Rolodex, who else should I be talking to that you know that should know this? So let me give it's you a little example. Brilliant. I love let it. Me give, can I tell you a little story? Please. All right. So it's another little kind of uh, game. It's another little kind of game thing. So... I want you to answer this. Joe, you don't know me, okay? You have okay, no idea who I am, okay? So we walk into a, I walk into a bar. You're at the bar with your best mate. I walk up to you and I go, hey, Joe, how you doing? My name's Steve Sims. I've worked with Sir Elton John, Elon Musk, and the Pope. I'm a big deal. How are you doing? <laughs> and I put my hand out to shake your hand. Okay. What is your reaction there and then to me? I'm well. I'm. I'm. Since you use those names, I'm probably going to just want to be curious and investigative. So I'm going to say, "Great to meet you." Tell me a little bit more about what you do. Really, or are you going to scoff like you just did? <laughs> well, I, keep in mind if you're if you if I you know maybe it's a read. I the problem is I'm biased. I know you, and I know you've worked right. with all these people, and I went through the book. So um, if you said that cold, I'm probably thinking like, "Who is this guy?" And let's. I'm going to be curious, but I'm going to be skeptical. Most of the time, and I would imagine, and if anyone wants to put it in their comments, most people would find that self-promotional. Uh, it would be post them. I'd be a self. Yeah, like, but you can't use names like Elon. You have the different advantage. You're using names like Elon Musk. Yeah, but I'm. You know, I'm credible with it, and I think that's maybe where we're weak in this argument. If yeah, I right. up to you in a bar and you had no idea who I was. And I, because anyone can use those names. You're you've right. Seen, I, I might, my seen, first thing might be bullshit. Yeah, you know when, when you've got a when you've got a book and the, the the first the first testimonial on it is out on John. That's kind of a giveaway. But you know when you don't know me, it's probably going to repel. So <laughs> yeah. let's now play. Which is for sure, true in real life. Heidi's yeah. now called it. Heidi's now said this guy's full of shit. Perfect. Yeah. Right. So now <laughs> Heidi. We're going to pick on Heidi. So I want Heidi's response on this. So I've walked up to Heidi. I've said this. She's turned around and she's gone, this guy's full of shit. Fair response. Fair response. Let's play another scenario, Heidi. I walk into the bar. You're next to Joe. Okay? Joe's got a lot of credibility. You and Joe know each other. And I ignore you. Why shouldn't I? I don't know you. You don't know me. I walk to the end of the bar. I order an old-fashioned and I'm at the end of the bar, and Joe pokes you in the ribs and says, hey, you see that guy at the end of the bar? That's Steve Sims. He's worked with Elon Musk, Sir Elton John, and the Pope. That guy's a big deal. Now, Heidi, what is your response? And I'm dying to see this. What are you going to do now that Joe's actually said that to you? We're waiting for Heidi now. Unless she's run off to the toilet. <laughs> Or the suspense. She's probably still going to come back going, oh, he's full of shit. It could be a slight live delay. That could be probably part that of it. That could too. probably be it. So the bottom line of it is, um, 
Oh, she says slowly shifts my attitude. The bottom line of it is the introduction and the information is always uh, based on the source that it came from. She now trusts the comment, not because of me, but because of Joe. And there you go. That's the bottom line. You see, your introduction is everything. If I can get someone of power to introduce me to someone else, I don't need to. I'm already walking into the party with a ton of credibility. So when you're speaking to your clients and you're saying, are there 10 other people out there? And they phone up and they go, oh, you got Joe, you got to speak to Steve Sims. (laughs) The conversation is going to go like this. The client's going to get in touch with me or I'm going to get in touch with a client and I'm going to go, hey, Joe, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm thankful that, that Ken introduced us. How can I help you? I haven't got to go through the long introduction. I haven't got to go through the gain credibility. I haven't got to do any of that because when you are introduced to someone else, you walk through the door with the credibility. Yeah. And I, I, how many times do people have such positive things that come from their clients or customers they've worked with and they never capture that to be able to make that the front marketing mouthpiece of their business? Aren't you stunned how many people don't ask for referrals? Every time I go anywhere and yes. people go, oh, yeah, I'm a referral business. And I say, well, okay, do you have a phone number and email address on your website? And they go, yes, I do. And I say, well, then you're not a referral business. You just happen to get a lot of referrals. My right. concierge business is I literally had no email, no address, no phone number. You can only communicate with me if you knew one of the billionaires that I dealt with. And billionaires, guess who they know? So if you've got clients that have just bought stuff off you, they don't tend to know people poorer than them, you know? So, and I've never understood it. People should focus. I'm a great believer in all advertising and marketing and branding. But when it comes down to paying the mortgage, speak to someone that spent money with you as your premier source of new leads. Yeah. I mean, that's a soundbite right there. Hopefully everyone is listening to that. Um, being able to, to focus on your, who your existing clients are that you've helped as your source for new leads, start there. I, I, everyone says to me, Joe, I'm running out of clients. How many clients have you had? And they'll tell me a number, whatever that number is. I'll say, have you done a great job for those clients? Because if not, get the hell out of the business. But if you've done a great job, you should never run out of clients. Yeah, Because everybody knows a handful of people that you could be helping that may not be direct competitors, but just in that business or industry of where you serve them. And you just don't ask. Why don't people ask? What's the stopping point? What's the mental block people have and why they don't ask for a referral? So we had a party. Um, This was about four years ago, and it was a really cool party. And I'll drop some names. We had uh, Jim Quick and Jay Abraham at this uh, dinner party of mine. And... um, Jim Quick does a lot of stuff on like superhumans and super brains and stuff oh, yeah. like that. And I know Jim. Right. Okay. So um they asked what my superpower was. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted my superpower to be, you know, gorgeous good looks or sexy accent. I want I was in my head thinking it up. My wife, who's been married to, uh, married to me for 35 years, we met each other when we were 16 and 17. She turned around and she said, I have the superhuman power of ignorance. 
<laughs> and I sat there in front of my peers, in front of icons, in front of people that I now were able to call friends. And my mm -hmm. wife had just called me ignorant. And I'm not kidding you. I thought to myself, is this the end of my marriage? You know, is this, <laughs> it, she's just insulted me in front of all my people. And then she turned around and she said, because you've never let it get in the way of what you do. You right. don't think you do. You don't plan. You do. You don't conceive. You do. You and are that ign ignorance allows you to be a sponge, which you talk about in your book as well. Exactly. She said, you are so ignorant to the potential of it failing. They're not being a client. They're not being a marketing. You go ahead with full power, passion, and no one, no one can get in the way. And she said to me, she said, think about it. And she asked my friend, she said, how many times has Steve worked with someone or pulled something off that you've literally scratched your head and gone, how the did he manage to pull that off? <laughs> and that was what it was. So it's the ignorance that's, that has saved me because so many people out there, they're scared. And you only get scared when you start thinking, what can go wrong? How can this trip up? How can this be a problem? Oh, I could lose it. You get scared the more you think. Funny enough, if you stop thinking and start doing, you get educated. Sometimes you get educated on what not to do, what <laughs> right. contract not to get involved in, who to not trust in business. But that education fine-tunes you for the next one. I worked, and believe it or not, I'm not actually allowed to even name their name, but I worked with the largest musical event in the planet that rhymes with the word nanny. Okay. <laughs> you can work it out. Believe yeah. it. I can't even say the word or I get an instant sue for 150 grand. It's ridiculous. I Got was it. the official uh, partner of this group. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, they said, by the way, you're never allowed to mention our name. If you do, we will evoke this clause. And we would so ridiculous. I hadn't noticed that clause. <laughs> I hadn't noticed how they, they tie you up and screw you over. It was because that was in there that taught me the lesson that when I started working with Elton John, I made finer, uh, finer focus in the contract to make sure none of that existed. Had it not been in there, I may have got you know caught in the next one. So you learn by the mistakes you make. Man, this has been awesome. This is invaluable advice. This is actionable advice. You actually gave two lessons in that. One, which is you might want to take some time to identify your own superpower, by the way. Um, number two, maybe the greatest superpower is ignorance, which is what you're suggesting, because that has been uh, a key to your fast success in all these different areas, which other people might say was well, fast. Or you may say, well, no, this is a lot of work. I love that you said it is hard work. There's a lot of people nowadays. I hate to say that you know, from in different generations, I think we interpret hard work um, differently. I grew up, you know, um, I'm a Gen Xer and my dad put me to work and and I just worked hard because that was how I was raised. And I did not feel like I was entitled to anything or it was going to be granted or any wishes that were going to fall out of the trees. But unfortunately, some people think that they, you know, they believe everything they see on the, on the social media. They see stuff on Instagram, they see stuff on Facebook, and they think that that all this what bling or flash that most of it isn't even true anyway. Most people are just living this, these lies and showing it to you on the social media is something that you're going to get without having to work hard. So I love these lessons and you're giving everyone actionable advice. You end uh, the book talking about being as selfish as you want to be. You talk about, um, uh, 
you know, to, to, to you take selfishness and this is kind of, you know, Ian Rand's philosophy of uh, the art of selfishness, which is it's, it's your right to be selfish and go for the things that you want to go for to make things happen. And your book is, is subtitled. It's, it's called blue fishing. There you go. Uh, the art of making things happen. And I titled the, this presentation, the art of making big things happen in your business, because that's exactly what Steve will do for you in your business. Steve, how do people learn more about you? What can they do to, uh, you know, get into your world? So I've got a I've got an inner circle called uh, Sims Distillery at simsdistillery.com. That really gets a lot of me and it gets uh, my special guests and friends um, on live AMAs and stuff. But if you want to kind of sniff test me and find out if I've still got anything of value, I've got a free Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage that you mentioned that you're in. Um, okay. And you can just visit stevedsims.com to really find out about my speakeasies, my phone calls, coaching, any of these kind of things. It's all there. I'm easy to find. I'll put all those links in the show notes. If you're listening to this as a podcast, you know, in 2021, just look at the show notes and the and the uh, uh, in the program here, and you'll be able to find all those links. Make sure you get the book, get on Steve's radar. Make sure you do what he says. More importantly, because I know nothing will make him happier than knowing that you're actually implementing implementing the advice, taking action on what it is that he's sharing. Um, I'm so grateful for you to be here, man. Thanks for spending some time with me. We had fun. We, the time's it, flown we, by. I just saw the time. Fly by. Man, this has been awesome. I can't wait to talk you into having you back someday, but that might be after I buy you a couple bottles of bourbon first. Everyone, <laughs> thanks for being on the show. Um, I appreciate you guys. If you share this out, if you tell your friends, if you give us a review, if you think that Steve gave value to you today, if you think the podcast, the show's given you value, I always appreciate a review. But more importantly, I appreciate it if you go and support the guests. So go to their links, go to their sites, get their books, and let them know what you think. Write their reviews for, for Steve's book. That's the best way people can thank me for even ever doing this show is by writing a review for your book. Thanks for being here, Steve, everyone. And you're definitely not average, man. So <laughs> once again, thank you. All right, everyone, stay tuned for next time. Thanks for being with us. Tune in next week for the Not Your Average Joe Show with international business mentor Joe Soto.